tonight I want to talk to you about um, responding in difficulties. Responding in difficulties. Uh, I'd say all of us have been in difficult situations and when we look back we thought, boy I wish I would have handled that different. I wish when I lost my temper I hadn't have said this, this, and this. I wish at work when that person had uh, lied about me to my boss, I wish I wouldn't have responded as such. Uh, maybe it was a relationship crisis, and in your moment of response, it was not positive. And that could go on and on. Maybe you've been in a difficult health situation, and instead of trusting God for Him to intervene, you, you worried. Um, how many of you worry? Well, at least some of you are honest and some of you are not, but that's the way it is. I think all of us in difficult situations respond differently. Some people, when difficulties arise, they automatically flee, right? They, they just run from it. Other people are so stubborn that when difficulties come, it's almost like a challenge. And in both of those responses, you can make yourself look really, really bad, right? Um, I know none of you are married to someone that is stubborn, but my wife is married to someone that is extremely stubborn. And if it comes down to it sometimes, I will make a mistake just because you've probably heard the saying, in marriage you can either be happy or you can be right. And I love to be right. And so a lot of times that means things aren't as uh, peaceful at home as they should be. But other times when we are called to stand and called to do what is right, we flee because of what could be coming. And so tonight I want to show you what Jeremiah hears from God to tell the children of Israel in a difficult situation how they should respond. How many of us have ever got bad advice from someone? <laughs> how many of us have ever gave advice and then realized later, boy, I wish I wouldn't have given that advice? You see, we're not usually as willing to fess up to that. But listen here tonight, and we're not going to get through the whole chapter, but I really want to show you how to respond in difficulty. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah... I apologize. What chapter are we in? 29. Sorry. Sorry. Senior moment there for me. You know, it's one of those moments where I would say, well, just whatever chapter we were in last week, right? But I'm not going to be as facetious as I should be. Or shouldn't be. I don't... Whatever you want to say. Yeah. When you don't have a personality, you have to be sarcastic, so I'm sorry. Verse 29, chapter 29, verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive. If you underline or take notes, uh, I would write down to captives, to the captives, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconi, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Jamari, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon 
to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying... If you're taking notes, the first thing I want to write you to write down tonight about verses in 1 through 3 is your stature in life doesn't keep you from difficulties. Your stature in life doesn't keep you from difficulties. If you notice this, this letter is addressed to the captives. They were in a difficult situation in a different land under a different ruler and he writes it to all the who's who of Jerusalem. It doesn't say the homeless, the beggars, the lepers. It talks about people of importance, right? The king, the queen, the eunuchs, the priest, the princes, the, the craftsmen, the, the skilled laborers is what he's saying. And everybody who could accomplish something, that's who is carried into captivity first. Right? If you're going to conquer someone and bring people back, you want people who know how to do something. And that's who they took, the most skilled uh, um, masons uh, that do mason work, the most skilled fighters, the most skilled in banking, all of these things. Why? Because in order to improve your civilization, um, you should be wanting people who are talented. Now, if you have watched the news at all, there is a growing movement in this country to want everyone to come here. And uh, I believe that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we are to care for the foreigner. I believe that to mistreat a foreigner brings the judgment of God. But I also believe that the Bible teaches that God establishes borders and that God is a God of order and laws. And so uh, I think it is wrong to say, just come on one and all. I do not think it is wrong to allow people to come here and set limits, whatever the law says, and to allow them to experience the American dream. But if you were going out and if you owned a sports team, do you try to recruit the best players or the worst players? If you're St. Louis, you never really want anybody of stature, but that's changed this offseason, right? You try to go out and find the best to recruit them to come and play for your team. And in this case, if you're going to take people back to your country, have to feed them, have to house them, have to close them, you want people who can be productive. And that's what we see here. You see, because sometimes people think, well, I'm wealthy. I can buy my way out of all of our problems. Sometimes people think, well, I've got an important job. I've got an important title. I come from the right family. I have the right last name. And so the problems that, that other people face don't apply to me. How many of you have ever watched documentaries on famous people who have great trials and tribulations? Right? Maybe you've watched a documentary on... On Elvis for your age group, let's just put it that way, right? And, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, it's you know, right? And, and he has everything that a person could ever want, right? I mean, money, fame, but yet what? Drugs and alcohol and the things of this world did not, did not spare him. And so to look at someone that is homeless on the streets that has gambled or drank or, or ruined their life, we look at them with great pity, right? And how horrible that is. And, 
and we say, but we understand, right? But, but when you have everything, you think about the celebrities that are in and out of rehab, the celebrities that are always on the news because they're jumping from one marriage to the next marriage to the next marriage. Your stature in life will not keep you from going through trials and tribulations. And so in order to prepare for them when they come, you need to recognize that trials and tribulations come to all of us. No church is immune. No business is immune. No marriage is immune. And we see that here in this text. Right? Jeremiah writes this after there's been one wave of people taken, another wave of people taken, and then God lays it on His heart to write this letter. And so tonight I want to ask you, how many of you think that you can avoid the trials and tribulations of this life? You cannot. But what you can do is go through them with someone who can make a difference. That's the only difference. You are going to come to the end of your life one of these days... And if the Lord doesn't return, you're going to take your last breath and you will die. doesn't matter if you're saved or lost, you're going to die. Now it matters whether you're saved or lost after you die. Why do you think that so many of us, many of us are, one, guilty of ignoring the problems in our life, or two, are guilty of trying to act like we don't have problems in our life? None of you have ever put on a smiling face when you walk into church, even those you fought the whole way here. Don't like to admit we have problems. Absolutely. Why do you think that is? Pride. Pride. That's very true. Yeah. Social media has definitely fed this narrative that if I have anything wrong in my life, it's probably the best place to take it, right? The Bible says take everything to the Lord in prayer, but someone should have put in there social media, right? Because that's what people do. I don't know how many... The reason I got off Facebook was it'd be, so, it'd be a miracle, right? Every Sunday afternoon at 12.02, after being gone from church for 10 minutes, somebody would put up a vague comment, right? Well, just wasted my morning, right? Or something's ignorant, and I'm like, I can't do it anymore, right? Or Sunday night right after church, somebody put something up on there. It was always anonymous, so I appreciated that, right? But checked in at 10 Mile at 6.02, Disgruntled at 6.58, but you know, so I just got off of it because I couldn't take it, couldn't handle it. Because why? One, on one hand, you have people that will always call attention to problems that aren't real in their life. You will have people that genuinely want help with the problems in their life. Or third, you will have people who sometimes are too prideful to ask for help in the trials of their life. But this people, and this group of people, had no control over their situation. At this point, they had no control. And so let's continue if no one has any other thoughts. Okay. We see exactly what God has laid on Jeremiah's heart. Thus says the Lord. And we've talked about the significance of that statement. Of host, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem 
to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters. That you may, I would underline this or put an asterisk by it, be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in the midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely in your name, in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now I just want to just just take some things from this uh, text that I think are um, very much applicable to your life and to mine. It talks here that the Lord has allowed this and that God has caused this to happen. And if God has allowed or caused something to happen, He knows what you need in the middle of it. God knows the situation that you're in. And so when most of us get in difficulties, we ask that question of why? Why did I lose a loved one? Why did I get fired? Why did that friend betray me? Why did my marriage fail? Whatever the situation is, that's usually the first question that we ask. Now, most of us don't admit that that's the first question that we ask, but it is. Right? Why did that police officer pull me over for speeding, but not the person next to me on the interstate? Why did the IRS audit me and not someone else? But what we see here is the Lord says to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away. Now, I do believe that God allowed them to be carried away and used Nebuchadnezzar because their sinfulness. That's what it says over and over in the book of Jeremiah. Repent, 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 repent. If you don't repent, judgment's coming. If you don't repent, judgment's coming. If you don't repent, judgment is coming. But God had a plan even before that to work in their lives. And so tonight I really want you to know that, that God knows the difficult situation that you're in, just like He knew the difficult situation that they were in. Why do you think, it's just what you think, it is so easy to ask why? Yeah, yeah. I, I look at myself on a regular basis and say, Jake, why? What happened, right? How did you get so heavy? And then I have to remember myself each time I ate a cheeseburger for supper and a cheeseburger for lunch and home chips for lunch and bacon for breakfast. And, and you know, there's a why in those cases. Do you think... Five charity lights. I only got one this last time. Do you think it is easier when it's something that we know we've brought on ourselves? Or is it easier when we don't know why we're going through what we're going? It's easier to be the victim. It's nice to have a pity party. It's nice to have a pity party. At least I'm not the only one that feels that way. Yeah. Others, thoughts. 
Is it easier when you're going through difficulties and problems to want to be around people or to not be around people? Not? Depends. Well, I think it's interesting that not only does he say to those that are carried off, he says to all who are carried off. That means it doesn't matter what stature you had before you left Israel. He's talking to all of them. And that means if God is speaking to all of them and cares about all of them, then that should give them hope. Because the message that's going to come is this idea that God has not forgotten any of them. I know I say this all the time, so I'm not going to say it's one of my favorite, but I love the old song that his eye is on the sparrow, right? And I know he watches me. Because I think when you think about the magnitude of the world and the magnitude of the problems in the world, it's easy to think, well, God doesn't know my problem, right? God doesn't understand what I'm going through. I mean, you know, God's dealing with, you know, two billion radical Muslims trying to destroy the world. I mean, you know, you know he's got bigger fish to fry than, than, than my depression or my discouragement or the fact that I'm struggling with losing a loved one. You know, that's, I think that's how most of us feel. Have you ever felt that way when you approach God in prayer? I almost hate to ask for this. It seems so insignificant. Anyone other than me? I mean, Okay, no, no one has. I'm glad. I'm just... Now, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. And even when we do ask, we ask amiss. And the Bible literally tells us over and over and over again, right, to bring our burdens to the Lord. And so, like Eric said, sometimes it's like it's not more than he can handle because we know that's not the case. But going from the fact that we really believe that God is all-powerful to applying the fact that we believe that God is all-powerful is a game-changer, right? I know the Federal Reserve has lots of debt, lots of money, right? But them giving it to me is a whole different thing. I know Fort Knox has what there? Lots of it, right? Enough to make me a miserable person. But them giving me that, that gold is a whole different thing. And so... Going from understanding that God is all-powerful to believing that God is all-powerful is something that you need in your life. From having the head knowledge that God is all-knowing to believing that God actually knows everything and everything I need. And to go from the fact that we believe that God is omnipresent, He's all places at all time, to believing that He is with me in my trials and tribulation, changes everything. Okay. Let's look, at, let's look at one other thing here. You need to thrive wherever God has you. You need to thrive wherever God has you. Look what he tells them to do. It doesn't seem like really any great spiritual things, right? It doesn't say rebuild the temple in this city. It doesn't say build a giant altar to sacrifice animals. He says, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and daughters and give your husband daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters. 
that you may be increased there and not diminished. You see, this idea that God cannot bless us in difficulties is a lie. You see, they probably thought this is an awful time to what? Have and raise children. How many of you have ever said that, right? I've said it. What kind of world did we bring our kids into? Right? This isn't the world that I was raised in. It definitely wasn't the same uh, country that some of you were raised in, right? And so you ask yourselves, why would you want children in this environment? Because God's blessing don't depend on the environment. And God's blessings don't depend on the situation. We had, uh, we had a, a young boy, which I told you Sunday night, that was saved um, in the first service. And I got a call Monday afternoon that a young boy had been saved at home. And... Okay, that's, that's all right. That doesn't make you very happy. All right, that's okay. Um, it's not okay, but... And so um, he wasn't at church. He wasn't at vacation Bible school. He, he wasn't in Awana or Cubbies or wherever. He was at home, and the Spirit of God began to work and began to deal with him. He gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. You see, God works in the most strange places. If I'm a child of... God, and I'm in a foreign land, one, I'm thinking, I don't want to have any kids. What are the, what's the foreign government going to do to them? What are the powers to be going to do? How, how are they going to treat my daughters, my sons? Are, are they going to have any choice in who they can marry or, or not marry? Is there going to be any good candidates for them to marry or not to marry, right? You're asking yourself all these questions. How can I provide for my children? I'm a slave in a foreign land with no property, no rights, no nothing. But God says, I can bless you even in the most terrible of circumstances. Just do what you're called to do. You say, Jake, how are we called to do what we're called to do? The Bible says be fruitful and... The Bible says raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God didn't want them to be homeless and live in the street. He says, just do the things that you're supposed to do. Build a house, plant a garden... Have a family. Do these things and I will cause you to increase, not decrease. Now we know this is population-based. It's a population-based text. That's the context. But I also believe that the Bible says that children are a what? And that marriage is, starts with an H, Can't hear anybody. It says honorable, right? The marriage bed is sacred. And so these things that God has ordained, the family, all of that needs to continue to happen regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation. How many of us have ever said this? And it's probably not the right thing to say, but we've all said it. The wrong kind of people are having all the what? Kids. We know how you change that? Well, maybe not everybody in this group, but God-fearing, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing people need to what? Have children. I always like to tease in Dahlgren. I was uh, talking to a guy today, and I said, you know, I grew up in Dahlgren, right? And, and all the Catholic families had tons of kids. And so I thought since everybody stopped having kids, if the Baptist preacher started, it'd stimulate everybody else. The Catholic families just look at me and laugh, right? And so, 
But that's the way it is, right? It's the same way about ministry as a church. Don't miss this. We can either continue to allow Satan to have a hold on our schools, on our activities, or we can go get them. We can run the church bus for Vacation Bible School. Dave and I have drove, the, and many of you have drove church vans and buses for years. Why? We can do nothing and leave them where they're at. Or we can go into the house that mom and dad are drug addicts and don't even feed them and bring them out here and free them breakfast. Love them. Tell them about Jesus. We, we can go into that home where it's two moms or two dads, and if they'll let their kids come, we can pick them up. We can bring them out here and show them what Christ's love and marriage is supposed to look like. You see, I, I think that um, it was the... Uh, it was... Uh, oh, having a senior moment being around all you so much. Um, yeah, I know. Um, Sherwood Baptist Church, Pastor Michael Catt. If you've ever been there, which, which we've had the privilege of going there... In their sanctuary, it says, the ones who want the next generation the most will get them. It's going to take us committing to believe the gospel can change people's lives. That loving people, regardless of their situation, makes a difference. That's why we give to missions in Africa and in China and to Russia, to East St. Louis, to Chicago, because we believe that God can save sinners regardless of their skin color, regardless of the sexual orientation of their parents, regardless of their financial pedigree, that God can save sinners. Just like I believe that God can bless my children if I raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, our church has to continue to remember that we are called to reach out, to go into the highways and the byways. Most churches, let's be honest, are satisfied if they have enough people to meet their budget. Most churches are satisfied as long as there's enough money in the bank that if their biggest giver dies, they can survive. That's what most churches consider success. We've got enough in the bank to pay the bills and to keep the church alive. Even though it's on life support, as long as the doors are open, my great-great-grandma's dream lives on. Most churches want to stay open because the cemetery won't be taken care of if they don't. And friends, it's exactly backwards. It's exactly the wrong mindset. We have to believe that God can save and bless and work regardless of the situation. Thoughts. Let's be clear. We all have our preferences, right? I know the things I like. You have the things you like. And I, don't, and I think a lot of times young pastors like myself, sometimes they come into a church and they just throw everything out the window. And I don't think that's right either. Right? I think you have to understand that change is hard for all of us. Right? All of us. And so change needs to happen slowly. It needs to be explained why. It needs to be done by someone that you know loves you. 
Um, I always tell uh, young pastors, don't change anything the first year. They don't know you. They don't know about you. They don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. Get to know them. Preach a couple of their family funerals. Sit, sit by them at the hospital for a while. And then they'll realize the changes that they're probably wanting to make aren't just because they want their face on the front of the IBSA magazine. It's because they really believe that it's going to help. It's going to change. And most of the time, if you want people to change, you better show them that you love them and that you care about them and that what you are trying to do is not because you want to change. It is because the message never changes. Methods do. The message that we have can never change. And that is the fact that sinners are lost and on their way to hell. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough, right? But Jesus Christ, because He had a great love for you and I, came, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, was buried, rose again, and if you'll repent of your sins, call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That cannot change. But how we reach people, where we reach people, the things that we do to reach people, those areas we can change a little bit. Some things we need to change a lot. Some things we don't need to change at all. I, uh, I get in a lot of trouble everywhere I go to talk, as you can imagine. And um, I, if I had to choose one service a week to come to, Guess what service it would be? Well, it wouldn't be Wednesday night. Sunday, night. Sunday night. You know why I want to come on Sunday night? Because people who want to come to church are going to come on Sunday night. Usually, right? I mean, you're not going to force most people to get up, come to church on Sunday night unless they want to. And I have been in church my whole life. And don't get me wrong, there was a few years there where I slept through Sunday night church like the rest of you. It's due from time to time. But you would be so surprised how many times a family will try church on a Sunday night. They'll they'll visit on a Sunday night. They'll be looking for a place to worship and there's no one else to worship. Where else, you know, and they come here. How many times we've seen people saved on Sunday night? Altars full of people on Sunday night. The Lord work and move on Sunday night. Now, I don't believe you're a heathen church if you don't have Sunday night. I believe each church ought to make that choice for themselves. But I'm thankful for the privilege to come and hear the Word of God preached, to hear the songs sung. Why? And I think it's this simple reason. What does the Bible say we're supposed to be doing the closer we get to the Lord's return? We're supposed to be meeting... Go ahead. More often or less often? More often. It's literally in the book of Hebrews. You can read it there. You can read it. And so if the early church met on Sundays, if they met throughout the week in different different ways, then we should not feel guilty for wanting to meet. Now, I don't think you should meet just to meet. Because some people come no matter when the doors are open, they don't come for the right reasons. But we should want to be with God's people. We, whether it's a fellowship meal, whether it's Bible teaching, whether it's prayer meeting, we should want to be amongst God's people. And if we don't want to, or people don't feel like they should, 
It could be on them, but it could be on us. I've been in enough Baptist churches to know that most of them don't make you feel like you belong. And I, I want you to know that I watch every Wednesday night when I'm here. Who sits alone? Who doesn't have someone visited? And we don't do a very good job of it. We do better than most. Let me give it. But, but we don't even do a good job sometimes. How many times I've seen a certain mother sit at a certain table by herself and no one talk to her. Well, I wouldn't want to come and do that. I know all of you. But yet how lonely that feels. Especially if it's new. Especially if it's a guest. And so we have to work hard at not only worshiping God and wanting to be fed ourselves, but to be concerned about other people that are here. And so remember that. And so we're out of time tonight. And so that's all we're going to get through this evening. But how many of you know that it's not the pastor's job to make everyone feel welcome? Okay, I heard one amen maybe. It's not in the Bible, but it is true that we're supposed to be a fellowshipping family. And so I want to encourage you tonight to take those three things, right? That God blesses in difficulty, that God knows you in your difficulty, and to remember that no matter your stature in life, you won't avoid difficulties. Thoughts, disagreements. Do you think we do better when people are in crisis mode, caring about them, or just on a regular basis? Crisis mode. And we ought to recognize that crisis mode looks different for everybody. Right? Uh, I appreciate you who helped my wife get our kids into church. Now that not, might not sound like crisis mode to you, but on a Sunday night when there's three asleep, two crying, and one needs to go pee, it's a big deal. I don't ride to church with her, haven't in 10 years. She gets them up, brings them by herself. And how many times, I think uh, Donnie and Sandy recently sat with our kids that were sleeping in the van the whole service so the other ones could come into church. Now that not, might not seem like a big deal to you, but it was a big deal. And so you don't know what that single mom who, whose husband won't come, what it means to her to have someone build a relationship with her and talk to her and, and care for her. That, that, that older individual who's lost their loved one and, and what that means for you to, to care and be there for them. And so remember that crisis mode looks different for everybody. And so if we can begin to love people always, like we do in moments of crisis, then that's when I believe a church has real fellowship, really loving and caring for one another, and people really feel like they belong. Now, I also want to say, though, some people have no desire to belong, right? They have no desire to, get, to be known. They slip in the door. They slip out. They don't come. They don't participate. I understand that, okay? but we never want it to be because of us, right? I mean, <laughs> I've heard this numerous times, right? Uh, one time, I, my child had to go to the bathroom, and we were going through town, and so we stopped at Huck's, right? And one of my children has a problem that when she tells you she's got to go, we're at the point of no return, okay? <laughs> it's not a hold it two more minutes, one more minute. It's we got to get a bathroom, and we got to get there now, 
And so we were driving through town. Hux, I got to go. It's like I'm not even signaling or looking. I'm just cutting across traffic like in a movie, right? Whip into Hux, jump out, run into Hux with her, you know, because not letting my kid go to the bathroom by herself. Well, I will when she gets to the bathroom, but the world's full of creepy people, okay? So I run in there. There's a person who had been to church a few times. Hello, get her to the bathroom. You know, I stand outside the door, you know, like a good parent does. And, uh, and uh, this person leaves. Next thing I hear is, I can't believe Jake was so rude to me at Hux. Wouldn't speak to me. I said, did you want to clean up the floor when it happened? I didn't want to clean up. So, I mean, there are times when that kind of stuff happens that we don't have any control. Huh? That's a suck it up buttercup kind of moment right there. But I can't tell you the amount of times I've come into church and someone will be there back when we didn't have Sunday school classes in the um, sanctuary and it sat there and sat there and sat there and sat there. And I'll be honest with you, I'm creepy like that. I'll watch to see if anybody goes and says hello. Now, I'm going to go say hi, but I'll watch. And I'll be like, well, those two people walk by. Those three people walk by. And usually I'm thinking if I had a piece of chalk, I'd throw it at you at that point. But we're, we're guilty of that. And so just remember that, that all people matter to God. And we see that in this text, right? He writes it to all the captives. And so it shouldn't just be people we know, that we like. It should be people that don't look like us, that we don't know. We ought to know that God loves them, God died for them, and if He loves them, we should love them.